Well, it sounds very strange, but when I came out of the powder room, I looked in the mirror, and I could see the whole waiting room in the mirror. What did you see, Miss Barnes? I saw myself. Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And we hope that you guys uh, survived your trip to Happy Glades and are back with us uh, to talk about this uh, this odd episode in a bus station. Yeah. Man, it, it feels like forever since the last episode. I think it's only been about a week and a half since we've recorded, but uh, it feels like a lifetime ago. Or <laughs> maybe an eternity, some would say. I, I've just <laughs> been sitting here perfectly still waiting for you to, to contact me. So, because I found out that this is evidently where I want to be for the rest of my life is just sitting here in front of a microphone. Uh, all right. So, uh, this episode is, uh, it's season one, episode 21 of Twilight Zone, a mirror image, uh, air date, uh, February 26, 1960, uh, number one song. And this one, you guys are going to get sick and tired. This is our new Mac, the knife. Uh, it is the theme from a summer place. Just the music, not, the, not the actual, there's a song that has words, this the theme by Percy Faith and his orchestra is going to be the number one song for like the next six or seven episodes. Huh. I don't know that one. If you heard the music, you'd know it automatically. Like it's a very oh, recognizable sure. theme. Uh, number one film. Uh, we got a little break from Ben-Hur. I think maybe next week's the last of the Ben-Hur. But number one film this week was uh, The Last Voyage. And here's the description of it. This sounds amazing. After a boiler explosion aboard an aging ocean liner, a man struggles to free his injured wife from the wreckage of their cabin and ensure the safety of their four-year-old daughter as the ship begins to sink, starring Robert Stack. Nice. And I guess he said that uh, during the making of this, the director really wanted to destroy the ship. So he's like, this was almost the last voyage, like literally. I think a lot of people almost died making this movie. (laughs) Man. It would have been an unsolved mystery, I think, if they would have not. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyway, so that was uh, I did not know what this movie was. And I was reading about it. That has a strange history. That's not the show, but definitely read up on it. it is bizarre how this was like the last time that anybody was like, sure, have a large ship because this, this director literally wanted to destroy the ship while making the movie. Yeah, we uh, we definitely find some some strange history on the strange highways. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find anything about this date, so I, I found uh, one one thing. Um, the Chicago Tribune actually has their entire archive online, uh, so it's interesting to kind of roll through the headlines. Um, and I'll get back to that later. So remind me because they actually did a mini review of this episode before it aired, and I want to read what it said at, after we talk about it. Um, oh, I think I saw that on our. Uh, I think you sent that to me, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did clip uh, that image out and put it in with everything else because I thought it was funny. Uh, yeah, that's fun. There's a headline on the front page of Chicago Tribune from this date. The headline—I don't—I didn't even read the story. The headline was just amazing. 
uh, bribe paying fur burglar fingers cops. That's all it said. I didn't know the story. It was just a great headline. <laughs> uh, definitely strange. <laughs> so yeah, all that's right. it. Nothing so else. I, yeah, I guess we'll jump into the crew here. Uh, directed by John Bram, who we've already discussed three times in the past. He did uh, Time Enough at Last, uh, Judgment Night, and The Four of Us Are Dying. So uh, I, I think Time Enough at Last we really love. Judgment Night I remember liking visually quite a bit. And Four of Us Are Dying, I think we just kind of were pleasantly surprised with it. I, I, yeah, I think the, it was more just the the camera angles and, and the jazz soundtrack that really got that one for me. And uh, unfortunately there's no jazz soundtrack in this episode, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, written by Rod Serling uh, as, as almost per usual. So and then we'll jump into the cast here. We got Vera miles who plays Millicent, Millicent Barnes, who uh, is a most well-known for psycho uh, and psycho Two. And this episode came out the same year as Psycho, so a uh, big year for sci-fi and horror for her. Um, she was also in The Searchers. This was her only Twilight Zone episode, along with the rest of the cast. Um, we're all first and only time Twilight Zone uh, appearances. Yeah, I was reading, reading about she, her. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, she was also in a really shitty 1980s slasher film called The Initi- Initiation, which I quite enjoy. So <laughs> I figured I should bring it up. Um, she was one of those almost uh, stories, meaning that she was uh, that that blonde like like type that Hitchcock loves and would use often. And she was almost like the, one of the main headliners. I mean, she was a significant part in Psycho, but she was actually supposed to be in Vertigo. And because yeah, of scheduling issues and her being pregnant, she wasn't. And Kim Novak got that and became like Vertigo is an amazing flick. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like she was almost like she was still being used by Hitchcock. Like she was in the pilot episode of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV series. But it, she just never quite got uh, to the heights that he would have for some of his other actresses. And yeah, I, I which is uh, unfortunate because she is uh, by far the best thing about this episode. Um, next we have Martin Milner who plays Paul Grinstead, who is most well known for route 66 and Adam 12. Um, he has both pretty much the top billing on both those shows. Um, he was also in Valley of the dolls, which I'm particularly fond of, um, 13 ghosts. And again, only twilight zone episode. And also a film called sex kittens go to college. I just wanted to point that out. And two episodes <laughs> Of the RoboCop TV series, I just oh, I like that God. he came back for a second episode. I think I I, <laughs> I think I just ignored that. Um, <laughs> next up, we have Joseph Hamilton as the ticket agent, uh, probably most well known for his role on Andy Griffith as I think it was Jason, uh, just one of the town folk who would show up quite a bit. Um, and then we have Naomi Stevens, who was the washroom attendant. Uh, also in Valley of the Dolls, surprisingly, and only Twilight Zone. So, so that pretty much does it for the cast. For Joseph Hamilton, which I'm going to argue he's the best thing of the episode. I love this cranky old man. Um, he didn't start acting until 1954 and then died in 65. And he had 78 acting credits. So oh, like, wow. this guy had a really big career in 11 years, you know, in terms yeah, of like just short but profound. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was interesting because I was looking him up. I'm like, this guy looks familiar. Like this guy should be on every front porch yelling at every kid ever. And um, like he's my favorite part of this episode. So we'll I guess we'll have something to debate. But yeah, we'll um, talk about that. Yeah, very, very, <laughs> very small cast. So, um, yeah, that's it. No, uh, no Johnny Midnight Connection this time. 
Oh, damn. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's just uh, let Rod set the stage. Millicent Barnes, age 25. Young woman waiting for a bus on a rainy November night. Not a very imaginative type is Miss Barnes, not given to undue anxiety or fears, or for that matter, even the most temporal flights of fancy. Like most young career women, she has a generic classification as a, quote, girl with a head on her shoulders, end of quote. All of which is mentioned now because in just a moment, the head on Miss Barnes's shoulders will be put to a test. Circumstances will assault her sense of reality and a chain of nightmares will put her sanity on a block. Millicent Barnes, who in one minute will wonder if she's going mad. I had to keep the sound of the whatever that that the gong because it played a big role in the episode. So yeah, yeah. man. So I, I I love Serling's narrations, but this one is quite verbose. <laughs> uh, every I've listened to it like at least four times, and I lose track of what he's saying every time. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it's almost like it's like he's overcompensating for what's about to happen. Because it's just yeah. like he's saying, like and, she's going to be put to the limits. This kind of happens twice. Sorry, cut you off. No. Um, this kind of happens twice between the narration and uh, kind of an info dump later on. Yeah, I just I feel like he was setting up for like I don't know what I was expecting. Like I was expecting like a ticking clock scenario. Honestly, like the way he said it, like she's going to have so much time to figure out what's going on. And I mean, I guess credit to him that I didn't see what was about to happen coming, but it didn't really give me a good idea. Of, of place other than she um, is uh, in the workforce and like, you know, she's like the, the common woman right now. It's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what I got from it. Well, he also does a good job setting up that, uh, you know, she's got a, uh, a good head on her shoulders. So she's, she's very in control. So when things start going wrong in this episode and she can't figure out if she's going crazy or not, um, you immediately take her side that she's probably not going crazy because he sets her up as being a very intelligent, uh, uh, independent woman. Yeah, that that's fair. I mean, basically so that's, that's what I took out of it. He was like describing like half of the, the secretary pool and mad men. Like that's what it felt like. Uh, and that, that, that's not a, like, that's not a negative towards like, cause I mean, we'll get to this later too, about her sense of identity versus with the job she was doing. But that's what it felt very much like. She is in control of herself. She's not known for flights of fancy, and but she's going to be challenged. So, but still, I didn't know what was about to happen. In a good way, I guess. Uh, anyway, all right. So, you want to jump into the summary, or what is there of the summary? I, well, so I, like I, this one's a hard one for me to crack because I mean, you could describe the story in one sentence, and it would give away everything, right? But it's mm-hmm. like the first the first half of it, I feel, is definitely better than the second half yeah. uh, in the sense that and I guess that would be true of any story where you have more questions. And then when you finally get some of those answers, they're not exactly what you hoped for. Maybe that's where, you know, you don't feel like they're satisfactory. Um, the first bit, though, of she has a suitcase that's very distinct that has a broken handle with tape on it. And she looks behind the baggage uh, check area. And she sees the exact same bag. So she goes up to. Um, you know, Mr. Wilson, which that's not his real name, uh, and ask him like, well, like what time's the bus coming? And he just like choose her, like, you know, choose her head off saying, you've asked me this already. You're going to keep asking me this. It'll get here when it gets here. And she's like, I've never talked to you before. 
And then when she asks about the bag, he looks at her like she's an idiot. You know, and, yeah. and she looks back at her bag's missing. And it's just this whole thing of like, what's going on? Why does this bag look the same? Why is her now gone? Hers is now gone. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, after we get past that moment, she ends up going into the uh, to the powder room, as she calls it. And <laughs> the uh, the washroom attendant in there is like, you just came in like a few minutes ago. And she says, no, I no, I haven't. I've never been in here before. Um, and she sees in the mirror out the door and she sees herself sitting on the bench, which is the best. That's the best bit of the episode is that that's a really cool shot of her looking out and seeing herself make eye contact with herself on the bench. Yeah, it's, it's it's a cool shot. Uh, I think there's one other one that trumps <laughs> this one for me. <laughs> I will. I will. Okay. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> Um, and it's not it's not the very end. Okay, so good. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> that, just, not, not to jump too much forward. That's what everything just I just lost it. I'm like, I don't know about this. But uh, so she she's definitely struggling with like she she sees herself, but she and she goes back outside and and obviously there's nobody sitting on the bench, and she has this internal monologue which is very similar to the hitchhiker of like. Um, am I sick? I don't have a fever. I don't think I'm sick. What's going on? And it's this whole like questioning herself. Um, and then, uh, and then suddenly uh, immediately uh, a man wearing a very wet raincoat shows up like without any, any indication of noise. He's just there and he asks if she's okay, which I, yeah, I, could, so. I can't help but I laughed with that cut of this guy standing right beside her. She did not see him until he was right there. Yeah. Intro Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so she starts telling him uh, about what's going on and how uh, she thinks she's seen uh, herself and her bag keeps disappearing. And he doesn't necessarily put her down and say, no, it's not happening. But you can tell that he's kind of like, what, what did I get myself into here? <laughs> yeah. Well, because he was like saying to her, he's like, well, maybe it's someone that looked like you. Maybe like basically yeah. he's using all the. The, the things people would say, like, that can't possibly be you because you're here, so it could have been something else. You yeah. Know? Uh, uh, but at that point, so, though, I'm sorry, they, they just want to point out that this is where also the episode, I thought it was going one direction and it wasn't. So, again, credit to Serling, but then I also feel like the storytelling, I, not that it, it's not muddled isn't the right word, but uh, there's one thing to have a misdirection. It's another thing to go down a path and not really follow up on it, which is. Uh, they hinted at the buses could possibly be late because of the weather. Uh, there could be bridges out. And then he says that he was actually in a cab that got wrapped around a tree and he ran to the bus station, you know, because he's needed to be in like Buffalo or someplace. Um, yeah. It's all hinting towards like, I was thinking that this this is now going to be purgatory. You know, that's what I thought. I like I just expecting like these people are all dead. They all died in a bus crash. You know, well, and, that seems like a, a an, uh, easy Twilight Zone ending. That's Which true. I'm kind of happy it didn't go that way because I would have been more pissed off. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's heading towards uh, Syracuse, which is Serling's hometown where he was born. Oh, on Christmas Day, we so, mentioned that last. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so go figure. Uh, it's all set in cities that he has a personal connection to. Um, but yeah, that- so at that point, the uh, bus shows up, and he grabs her bag for for her and they go out and as she's about to get on the bus she looks up and sees herself sitting on the bus and that is my favorite shot of this episode is her face that she is making at herself inside the bus uh 
it is so I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a so subtly terrifying yeah. that it like it, it almost gave me chills. It didn't completely, but <laughs> it almost gave me chills. And uh, I think it's a very memorable shot. And I think it sums up the uh, uh, this whole episode. No, that that's that's a good shot. It was um it was smart to to have her have a different like clearly you're you're directing the same actress in two different ways, and she had a very like Cheshire Cheshire cat smile on her face, and it yeah, was like that, I I wouldn't say that big. It was it was a slight grin at the end okay. <laughs> at okay, the sorry. edge of her uh, Cheshire lips, you know? grin. I meant more like mischievous, not like full on. You know, like you okay, know, there's, your, right. <laughs> there's your grill right there. But no, like she. There was something, there was not an innocence there. There was kind of like, you know, I just, yeah. Like, you, there, there's always this implied malice in this entire episode, but you don't really see it in terms of, like, action. Uh, but yeah, it's implied. I, I like that. I like that. I'm a big fan of, uh, and even, uh, not to skip ahead again towards the end, but when uh, there is another doppelganger at the end, um, his face as well. I just spoiled the ending, but... Uh, <laughs> Whatever. Well, I mean, kind of, um, kind of, sort of, not really, because I mean, it is a, do- it is a, it is a double. Um, but yeah, he had a different look on his face too. Um, and we'll get to that ending. I have, I have problems with the ending, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> I mean, who am I? Just a guy watching a TV show that is angry about uh, special effects fifty years ago. Like, uh, like I guess it really gets down to. So she, she has a suspicion, and she has this big long um, exposition bit. Well, where, she passes out, yeah. and they miss the bus. And uh, they're gonna stay and wait for the next one. Yeah, and so, so and she's yeah, telling, so then she yeah. gets to this thing. <laughs> no, and she's telling um, uh, Route sixty six there that uh, he um, that she read she read somewhere once that she that there's might be possible other realities and there might be doubles out there and that they might be replacing them. And at that point, he's like, you know what, you're cute, but I gotta go. You know, he was like, I'm, I was with you to a point, but I'm just gonna see if my buddy has a car. And then he goes over to, um, you know, the, the the ticket taker or the guy running the station. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I lied about the car. I'm just calling the cops and they're <laughs> going to come get her, which that, that brings me to a question. This was 1960. Can you just call the cops and be like, there's a woman acting weird at a bus station and they're going to just come take her away? I, I This seems like, well, I, I, yeah, even even weirder. Uh, not that they come to take her away. Or not that they come to talk to her or try and find her help. Um, they aggressively grab her and shove her in the back of the police car without saying a word to Paul, her, anyone in the bus station, to each other. They just shove her in the back and drive away. Yeah, I mean, that seems a little <laughs> that's a little presumptuous. It's like, oh, but like, like I, I wrote my notes here. If If it was so easy... To call the police to a crazy person at the bus station, then there'd be no crazy people at any bus station ever. You know, like that's like <laughs> that, that is the breeding ground for crazy people. But well, I think know. bus stations back then were a little bit nicer. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, th- I think tickets were a little bit more expensive compared to, well, the inflation. But uh. <laughs> well, I will say this, though, and this is actually a bit of history that's that's kind of accurate to the time, but it was changing is that there was a certain point until until the, like till the 60s or so that. And this doesn't apply to Paul and his ability to call the magic police. They show up and take her away that um, the head of the household could call like um, protective services or a mental hospital that time and be like, I'm sorry, my daughter slash, you know, whoever or wife or whatever is acting crazy and they can have them committed without the woman actually being able to protest it. And it is 
it's bizarre, but it was basically be like, well, he's the man. He made the decision. And I feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) No. Just, it's it's true though because like, yeah. like um not to not to get too far off the path there but I, I've been to a couple just taking tours of like um closed down mental institutions and I found that out that there was actually a large population of women at these places because they actually had postpartum depression that just wasn't identified at the time it's just the man yeah. could call up and be like oh she's nuts and they throw her in there yeah um, yeah really sad but <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> really um, sad but anyway going on yes um could you imagine uh how funny it would be now to be at a party and uh, prank your friend and have him committed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd just be like, oh, hey, no, no, no. We're going to go. We'll go get tacos later. I'm just going to call my buddy and all of a sudden the police show up. Yes. That would just be- take you away without saying anything. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's still the rule in New York State. We don't know what they do in Buffalo. Maybe that's yeah, what they do. I don't do. know. <laughs> Um, so I like that, um, the, like the, the context of that conversation when she's giving that big uh, exposition of like, what if? Uh, he actually says that's a little metaphysical for me. Um, I didn't. That phrase caught me as odd because I didn't think that that would be so on the nose. Um, yeah. And, uh, and also the discussion of metaphysics at that point, I didn't know if that was really a thing. Um, yeah, I thought that was a. It was interesting, but he's like, that's a little too crazy talk for me. I got to go. Yeah. Um, I think it was a little too crazy talk for me as well because the, uh, as much as I like the idea of uh, parallel universes and twin worlds and uh doppelgangers and everything and uh a lot of movies i watch deal with that um uh, this seems to come out of nowhere yes you know and it is such an info dump and compared to earlier episodes in the season that we've talked about where we kind of tip our hats to the way he so gently handles situations and doesn't give you too much that you can't you can't sit there and call him out for being like, I don't know about that. That seems ridiculous. You know, like how many times have we dealt with time travel already? Well, and we just, uh, he explains it by, he went through a white cloud. You know, it's so simple, but being simple, you would never call him out on it. And this one is just so over the top and out of nowhere that immediately you're like, whoa. This is closer I, to I like, um, and when the sky was opened in the sense of like, there's something fantastic happening, but there it was just the one guy trying to convince his buddy, like, hey, yeah. there was a third person here. And the guy's like, I don't remember what you're talking about. And yeah. it was just like there there was this bit of this, like, you don't know who to talk to. You don't know if they even remember you. And there's that sense of panic and dread. But there it was like you're able to to wave your hands away because they didn't know what was going on. And suddenly she reads like, you know, popular meta- metaphysics and sciences or whatever. And like. <laughs> Um, and I'm not saying that like I, you can't have somebody read a magazine and get an idea and have and, and think you know what's going on like that. That's fine. Like, I mean, that's that's part of the fun of these stories is where the characters don't know what's going on. And they, they, they put out like like what ifs. Right. And yeah. with this one, it was so like it's not a what if it is. It was more of a it is happening. And she yeah. had no it, evidence. It, it really seems weird because that. it's so on the nose. Yeah. Um, but that, that could be, you know, you're talking misdirection earlier because I doubt, uh, uh, viewers at this time would have really had a grasp on what she was even talking about, <laughs> you know? So maybe it was an idea of like, oh, she is crazy. You know, none of this is happening. And then we get to the twist at the end. And, uh, if you really weren't on board with what she was saying and thought, Hey, maybe she was actually crazy. That twist would hit you even harder. 
Yeah. But I, I don't think it worked like that for me. <laughs> well, I think that this is a good time to bring in what was written about the episode. Uh, that was the preview of this episode. I feel like the last sentence of it explains <laughs> everything perfectly. So uh, this person that wrote this, uh, but by the way, credit to um, like the, that whoever was watching these shows, the previews, right, uh, of network television that the Twilight Zone was only been around for about, what, 20 episodes, that it made their list of, like, their previews for the for the day. That's pretty cool. Like, they actually, yeah. they, they thought enough of it. So uh, it says, uh, uh, pretty Vera Miles does a neat job in this one. I would agree with that. <laughs> she plays a girl on a bus station who sees a double image of herself and becomes fearful of losing her identity. A nice young fellow comes to her aid and soon finds the image business catching. And here's the sentence. No explanation is offered, but that really doesn't matter. I thought that was the best explanation of this episode where it's like, eh, it was fun. Like, that's it, you know? Yeah. But the, but the very end, wherever she goes away and then he, um, he like, the, I'll, I'll, I'll give this credit, like, to the director. And so I think that, um, that uh, what's the director? Uh, John Brom, he was given, he was given a losing hand in terms of, like, how to direct this episode. Because I feel like the last couple minutes, I don't like how much di- how how many kind of dynamic shots can you have at a bus station? He tried. There were some oh, interesting I, moments. I think I uh, I would go further and say he succeeded, as I think visually uh, between his directing and then uh, uh, the set design and everything, I think that really elevated this episode. Yeah, I will agree. But there's a bit whenever after uh, she goes away and and Paul. Uh, he wakes up, or before he goes to lay down, he sets his suitcase in the same spot, which I guess that's the nexus point of all reality, that if you have baggage, suddenly you encounter your your mirror image. But he sets the <laughs> bag down and goes to take a drink of water. And I, on the second viewing, I watched to see if that cut, that there was a cut there. There was not, because he goes to the forefront of the camera and drinks water, and when he stands back up and looks back, the suitcase is gone. So clearly someone reached in real quick, snatched the suitcase, but it was such a smooth shot. That, yeah, I, I that was a, it. it was a good shot. And then he sees himself running out of the bus station, or so he thinks. <laughs> and then to the worst moment, probably so far the Twilight Zone that we've seen. Oh um, man! Like just because the way it was done, not because the context. The idea is solid. Well, actually, let me rephrase. The idea is okay. I don't know why your double would be giggling, like and smiling. It almost looked like running away from you. But the process shot of him running away from himself was terrible. It almost looked like like whenever you see Colin Mockery um, like go to do the green screen on Whose Line Is It Anyway, and he's just reacting to things he can't see. And that's no fault of the actor. This is, this is a different technology at the time. My question to you is, if you knew this was going to be your, your, your big shot at the end, why didn't you cast twins? Um, I, I think time and accessibility. It's not like you can th- just throw a hit up online, you know. <laughs> but there's casting agencies um, back then, and they probably did a lot of TV work. You sure there wasn't like twin males at that time? Like double, yeah, double mint was a big was. thing at the time, you know. Like, yeah, um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I actually, I actually enjoy it. I, it, it doesn't bug me. The uh, production and all that, like I, the special effects, don't bug me at all. I actually really liked it. Uh, the whole giggling thing, it just takes a step of when she has that slight smile on her face on the bus to a further, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? I don't know. It just, it, it kind of exacerbates what you think is going to be happening after they take over your life. Like, you know, it, 
it, it just further ingrains that it's going to be bad. Like I would have, this, this is me. And I know I'm guilty of rewriting all the time. And, uh, and, but it's like, if you have that moment of him chasing himself, but then there's literally a car behind him, like behind Paul that we know, like, what if that, that guy running out there would have caused him to not pay attention and get hit by the car. And then all it's left is his double. And he smiles and this like runs off into the night or whatever that would have actually cemented her fear that they're here to replace yeah, us. Yeah. And that would have been like, like more like dark. And I don't think you couldn't, you could have shot that ending. You know, it isn't like there's an issue now where, Oh, we needed more time. It's like, you could have had like, Oh, mission accomplished. The double took over, you know? Um, that's just me. Yeah. Like I just, uh, I don't know. Like it's just, that felt really awkward. Uh, and I also feel like, I, I respect. I, I'll give. I'll give certainly respect that he's talking about like uh, parallel universes and everything, which is a very. I don't. I don't think it was new at the time, but it was becoming like a very um, like you're getting close to like what early sixties. You, you you don't even know what's about to happen with like the drug revolution, but there's people mm-hmm. already writing about this. Like um, the what was it? What's his name? Not Timothy Leary, but the other guy that wrote the the Doors of Perception. Like that was out around that time, and yeah, um, and the reason that because I remember with the movie with Doctor Strange that just came out, a lot of what made him become a character was the same idea that there's a lot of like science that's not science, but butting up against it is starting to come into the forefront, and yeah. that's kind of the same genesis. Yeah, it's something that we're going to see a lot going forward in the Twilight Zone series. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I feel like you're being harsh on this ending. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine like i just I, like i, I honestly it. like i i thought it was fine yeah it's it's a little bit corny for now but uh again can't rewrite the episode um <laughs> you're like just paul calm down it's it's over it's been over for years you've never seen it um your, your double would like it is that what you're gonna say to me next no yeah, um <laughs> he probably would yeah um <laughs> but i i will give credit to like the directing like you definitely again made... it's it's subtle and yeah. th- that's what i love by twilight zone is that you know just having him laughing or just having her smile on the bus it's it's subtly terrifying you're not a hundred percent sure that something bad is going to happen yeah but he's leading you in that direction and that's something that i really like about this episode um i'll give credit to the opening shot of the crane shot down to the bus depot sign that felt very psycho before even psycho came out uh the music sounded very hitchcockian to me like it was very dramatic uh and that like that also worked for me some of the camera movements because they were trying to keep what was going on outside the frame so that what would happen it would like catch you off guard. Some of it's more comical now, but there were some good moments. Um, like when she was in the, the washroom looking out in the mirror and then seeing herself, that's a great moment. Um, I didn't like the moment where she thought she lost her luggage. And then the guy's like, no, it's right there. And then the camera pulls back. Like it's a cutaway. And it was like the, the, the bag was like a foot away from her. Like she didn't see it. And he's like, no, it's right there. Like I laughed at that. I couldn't help it, but I, they were trying to, to shift your perception to where you weren't, you didn't know what was going on. I really, really thought this was going to be a time loop in terms of like the same actions repeated over and over again, because like, I really thought there was a purgatory ending coming. So credit that I didn't know this was coming. I just feel like that, that Sterling had to fit in an explanation in the last six minutes to make it make sense. Yeah. You know? and, no, you know, I, I like a lot of this episode, but 
again, I, I'm not a big fan of the beginning uh, narration. I'm not a big fan of that info dump. Um, other than that, I have no problems with this episode. Uh, I think visually, you know, I talked about uh, Judgment Night. I remember that one being a very striking episode, uh, very dark, kind of film noirish. This is the same way, um, very dimly lit. The storm outside creates a great, creepy atmosphere. Um, the camera movements, uh, it, it just a lot of swooping camera shots. It looks like crane shots coming from like closer to the ceiling, coming down to her. Um, just I, I, I really enjoyed the direction of this episode. Yeah, I mean, then that definitely elevated because you could have had static shots and try to tell the same story, and it would not have been nearly um, as much fun. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll give you that. So, um, and then I, uh, um, it, her performance too, I think elevates this episode. Um, I think she does a great job, kind of portraying uh, similar to uh, what's a, uh, Hitchhiker. I can't remember her name in that one. Well, I know the character's name was Nan Adams. I know that, but I can't remember yeah, the actress. I can't remember name. the actress's name. Um, it was a foreign name. She was Swedish, right? Yeah. It's um, oh, killing me. If, if only someone could go back and listen to the episode and tell us later, that'd be great. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like she they, it, she did well in, with this. Inger Stevens. There we there go. You go. Um, no, she did well with this. I, I still think the MVP of the episode for me is the ticket agent joseph hamilton cracked me up every time it's just like he was a surly old man where he's like can i sit here and read my magazine i'm like hell yeah that's right don't be bothered you're just gonna read your magazine you know <laughs> yeah i i thought he was funny but uh i guess if i were to pick something else that bugs me about this episode is that she plays this so straight and so uh, you know tormented that his comedy seems out of place and even his remarks to uh, Paul later on in the episode, I think, feel out of place and really kind of screws up the uh, um, tone of this episode. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll completely agree with you. I just was not expecting to. to yeah, enjoy no, he how... had some funny stuff like go down and try and breathe, go sit down and try and breathe through your nose and stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, then, uh, yeah, I just I liked how like he was just kind of observing the entire time and he's just like, uh, it's like, I think she's nuts. Like it's yep. Yep. Whatever. And I also liked it whenever the bus showed up and he, we know the microphone and had to announce really loud for the three people in the, in the bus station <laughs> that the bus had arrived. It's like, you could just tell them all like, I'm sorry. There's four people. It was, uh, the, the main two. And then the old couple that were just there for her to interrupt them sleeping, to ask if they've seen anything. Um, yeah. so, uh, no, like, I just feel like this is one of those ones where the concept to me, is tremendous i feel like the execution wasn't there in terms of the script i'm not saying it was like i'm this is not the worst episode of twilight zone we've seen um but it's just i feel like man it could have been like the, the what it what it was like suggesting is so much more than the episode actually is yeah to me um yeah i i quite enjoyed this one i think this is uh the most at odds we've been throughout this uh <laughs> <laughs> the series so far um yeah i just I, I i like last week we really had an episode that was writer driven i think this one and i i consider myself more of a uh, uh a fan of like auteur filmmaking and everything so the fact that we get more of a director driven episode and uh character driven episode and not so much on the plot uh, it, it's something that appeals to me a little bit more sometimes. Well, and, and I, uh, I agree. I, I just, that's why I feel like the last flight got better for me on the second viewing because that is a character story. 
you know, and like yeah. I feel like that. Yeah. But uh, so I, I guess yeah. I shouldn't say character. I should say performances. Okay, because her performance really uh, stood out in this episode. Um, you know, looking back on all the performances we've seen so far, I think hers and Inger Stevens, though they're really similar, I think are two of my favorite uh, performances so far. Yeah, I mean, I, and, uh, yeah, not to take away from her because she had to do a lot of heavy lifting, right? Because you had to actually yeah. see the conflict. And that was actually something I was going to mention here is uh, she made the comment, where did I, I had in my notes here, where um, there, when she first meets Paul and she's like, um, like I am Millicent Barnes. She's like, or I used to be. And she, she was talking about her change of her life and, and going off to another job. And there's a sense of yeah. identity tied up into what you do as opposed to who you are. And yeah. I thought that was interesting that she made that that statement of I used to be in an episode where you see a double. Yeah. Uh, like, well, you know, dealing with doppelgangers, the loss of identity is something that's uh, commonly uh, talked about within those stories. Yeah. Um, I, I, I it seems like a good point to bring it up. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was on Trick or Treat Radio. We we're reviewing a episode called uh, or uh, not an episode, a movie. Not everyone does Twilight Zone episodes. Um, <laughs> we we're reviewing the movie The Similars, which is a Mexican film that was made last year, came out finally this year. Um, takes place in a bus stop on a stormy night in Mexico. Uh, deals with sort of doppelgangers. It's it's not. It's not at all the same thing as what's happening in this, but the setup is almost exactly the same. Okay. Stylistically, the set design looks exactly the same. Some of the shots, like those sweeping shots throughout the bus station, um, are almost identical. Uh, so I, I definitely recommend it. But that's another one that deals with the sense of identity being lost. And that's that's a credit to this, then, that that's a movie just made in the past year or so that is still like it owes a lot to something that was presented 50 years ago, you know, and then, and that the themes yeah. are still relevant. So that, yeah. that's awesome. And then, uh, it, I, I guess this can be a new segment, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> further viewing, if you enjoy the subject matter, uh, Dennis Villeneuve, who just did that arrival movie that's out, he's got a film from a few years ago called, uh, enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. And he is a professor and he's at home and he turns on the TV and there's a movie on and he sees himself in the movie and his doppelganger is trying to take over his life and like ruin his life. And uh, it kind of deals with the same uh, subtext as like this episode is. OK, so definitely I, go check that out if uh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I remember that. Like, I, I remember seeing something about it. And then I just kind of faded from me. I did like uh I guess my double yeah, told me not to watch it. Um, so it's all right. so good. <laughs> um, just one last note about the episode before I get into like, because I always like finding something uh, tangential to this. But do you think Sterling picked a bus stop as a central point uh, because of the idea that like this is where people arrive and depart all the time? Do you think that was like kind of like this is where this is where realities would meet because people are constantly coming and going? I I think that may have been an afterthought. But I read somewhere that he came up with the idea of this while he was traveling. Uh, he was at the airport and he saw somebody had a briefcase that looked just like his. And he was trying to see what the guy looked like and started thinking, what if it was me? And came up with like a quick idea of this plot. So, you know, traveling at this point in uh, Serling's life was probably a big thing because I think he was still living in New York. 
Yeah. So he was probably constantly traveling. So the idea of just writing in bits about traveling was just something that came second nature to him. It wasn't just the, something that was a big part of his life. Wasn't the suitcase the same suitcase the the one of the big starts of Fight Club between um the characters where he's like I have that same suitcase. Wasn't that one of the the, the points at the beginning whenever um, he was talking to Calder? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it's been so long since I've seen Fight Club. I barely remember. Um. So all right. So my question for you, uh, first one is, what is your favorite evil twin? Like, like uh, if you have one from a movie or a TV show, because this is something that it's a trope now that comes back to all the time. But like, what what's your like? Not you know, if you give me a list or whatever. But like, what's one that comes to mind? <sighs> Oh, man. Put me on the spot here. Um, like I said, uh, probably my favorite evil twin movie would be Enemy. Okay. I'm a huge fan of that one um, since I just brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's on my mind. Um, <laughs> man, I, I'm drawing a blank like, right I now. think of like the mirror universe from Star Trek where you have Yeah, where they all have the goatees and stuff. Yeah. That's always classic. <laughs> and then, like, in Futurama, they're, they're, they did the whole like parallel universe where Bender... Uh, was gold plated, or there was this evil twin named Flexo that turned out to be the nice one. Like I, like the evil twins, a fun thing to play with. Yeah, um, I, I just tried to look up real quick. <laughs> evil twin, <laughs> The Shining popped up. I'm like, nah, not the same type of evil twin. No, but like, um, like the dark half. Speaking of Stephen King, that's uh, the, where you had his. Uh, but it wasn't exactly evil twin, but it was the guy's pseudonym that comes back. Uh, because he was going to put the, that character in the grave, you know, and uh, I, I just like the idea that the, the, the twin has something in common with you uh, enough, right? Like 99% of it's the same, but there's that one bit that's off. And it's an interesting thing to explore. I feel like it's it's something that can be done to death, but when it's handled well, it's it's really neat. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Army of Darkness, Evil yeah, Ash. Yes, that's a good one. I didn't yeah. think about that. Yeah, that that's the best. <laughs> um, and and when he's got all the tiny twins beating him up, that's very great. <laughs> I yeah, like I I love Army of Darkness, and that's like the like, I, I will get to that point whenever he fights himself, and then I'm like I'm good. Like it's like the rest of the movie's pretty good, but that's the part I like the best. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, uh, and then did you see um uh, at World's End with uh it was um yeah yeah, yeah. the um. Oh my god! Just transfer it to me. <laughs> the Simon Pegg movie. Uh, yeah. What's what's his name? Nick Frost is in it too, and then um, it's Edgar Wright directed. Yeah, thank, yeah. There you go. Thank you. That's another that's one right. that that kind of uh, that's more of like an invasion storyline, but it still deals with with the idea of doubles and identity, and that's a fun one. Like yeah, I, like, as as does like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which uh, I I think the Similars has a lot more in common with that than it does this storyline. Okay. So, yeah, just uh, that perception of uh, losing your identity and everything and uh, holding on to who you are when somebody's trying to take it from you. <laughs> it can be a terrifying subject. So I was trying to look up to see if there's actually anything um, like scientific about the idea oh. of an evil twin. Um, and there's a word here and I'm going to mess it up. It is called heyutoscopy. Uh, I messed that up badly. It's a term used in psychiatry and neurology for the uh, reduplicative hallucination of seeing one's own body at a distance um it can occur as a symptom of schizophrenia and epilepsy uh this is considered a possible explanation for the doppelganger phenomena um and there was someone who actually what was it a guy in 2006 
that the, him and his colleagues described a case of a man who experienced five doubles resulting from a tumor uh, in his left temporal lobe. So he saw five of himself. Um, that is that explains a lot of like where that probably came from in terms of like mythology and just like, you know, throughout history. But yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting reading about like the science of people because there's there's other there's other mental disorders where people believe that everybody else has been replaced by doubles but there's mm-hmm. not too much written about someone believing that they have an evil twin out there um but yeah that's about all i could find no 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 fun stories of linen and missing foot skin this time but you know <laughs> whatever i almost forgot about that how could i <laughs> um so yeah the other the other t- trivia i had about the episode you already mentioned that uh that uh, serling saw somebody at airport uh but he said uh, however the man turned out to be a younger and more attractive version of himself so i thought that was funny <laughs> very very serling to be like yeah that's not really my the, my double because he was way better than i was um <laughs> so uh yeah uh, uh let's let's just get to the twist meter i fear i have a feeling i'm gonna call it out now you're gonna be much more kind to this episode than i am yeah i think so <laughs> I'm giving it a two. That's that's because I feel like I didn't didn't know where it was going, but I just did not like the the heavy handed like it's parallel universes at the very end. I just didn't like that. That was like you basically pull you pull that when there's really not a lot of setup for it other than she's freaking out. Yeah, Um, I will kind of agree with you. I didn't really count the doppelganger thing as the twist. Um, the fact that he was brought into it at the end, I think, is the big twist. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I like, like I said, beyond that info dump, how subtle the rest of this episode is. <laughs> and it, you don't really know if the doppelgangers or these people from the parallel uh, plane of existence are trying to hurt you or not. But you kind of get the feeling that they are. And... I really enjoyed that. And I did like the chase scene with uh, <laughs> Paul's doppel- doppelganger. Not yours, but uh, yeah. Paul in the episode uh, laughing as he's running away from I him. Did not I was I was a big fan. So I gave it a four out of five. Like I, I try to do like screenshots for for our, uh, for the Facebook page. I could not find a good one of that because the process was so poor that everything was blurry. And I couldn't be like, it's supposed to be the same guy. Like, it just even even pausing the screen made it worse. And I just couldn't get a good capture of it. So, you know, I'm glad that you gave it a four. I gave it a two. Your mileage may vary. Like, it's just, uh, this is like, I, I liked, I liked, like, again, I liked the potential about this episode. I liked the ideas around it. Um, just not a, the biggest fan of this one. So, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, I guess I should say, since I just watched the similars and i really enjoyed that movie and it's been something that's been on my mind recently and sitting down and watching this episode and being like hey this is where half the ideas came from you know i was really excited going into it so that could have played into my enjoyment so uh like you said mileage may vary (laughs) yeah so um yeah uh and they uh, they'll do it for for um mirror image so uh like so let's yeah this is wrapping up here but then we got uh, some exciting stuff coming up, and I'll, I'll mention that in a second. Uh, so, Kevin, how can people find us? You can find us on Facebook. Uh, join in in the conversation on there. Uh, email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us voicemails or emails, hate mail, whatever you want to do. Uh, you <laughs> like, can yeah. rate review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music now. Um, like if you're an evil I twin, think that covers it. you're like evil twin. I'm giving it one star. Like screw you guys, yeah. evil twins. Just, getting, 
Just like, get email saying, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I'll get done. We'll get done recording this. I'll walk outside and I'll see myself running down the street poorly. And because even if it was my double, I would be able to catch myself because I don't run that fast. So <laughs> um, anyway, I was going to mention real quick. Next next episode is the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, which mm-hmm. I know you're really excited about this one. Uh, this yeah. is one of those like uh, quintessential like Twilight Zone episodes, which I don't think I've seen. So this will be exciting for me. Yeah, um, I've, I've seen this one multiple times, so I'm excited to rewatch it, having a little bit more history under my belt with the series. And I want to mention uh, that the, the, we're, we're putting this up before New Year's, that New Year's Day, uh, Sci-Fi is going to do the Twilight Zone Marathon. So um, there's a very small chance you might see an episode that we've covered, but either way, it is uh, that'll be a lot of fun if you just want to sit and veg out and just watch the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and I guarantee that Monsters Are Due on Maple Street will will be part of this uh, marathon because that's where I see it every year, and I stop and watch it. Yeah, so this will be exciting. Like, I like I know I know of this episode. And I know that they um they didn't remake it. They kind of well, I guess they did remake it for some of the later series, uh, but they changed it a little bit. So we'll talk about that next time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that, I think they'll do it for us. Uh, uh have a safe holiday. Um, if you're out partying um, and you feel like people around you are talking crazy about doubles, you could call the police and they'll take them away <laughs> without a problem. Um, I'm not going to be hanging out with Kevin because now I'm worried that he's going to call the cops and I'll be taken away without a question. I did. Uh, I did halfway throughout the episode. So <laughs> be oh, careful no. when you hang up. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I guess we should go so I can go get ready and put on uh, comfortable shoes as the cops are taking me away. So um, have have a safe uh, New Year's, and we'll be back for the Monsters of Duel Maple Street. Yeah, Happy New Year's. See you guys. shutting off some of these lights when not in use turn off the juice that's what i always say